0: Hello and welcome back to the What the Folk Sunland Preview Podcast. The games are coming thick and fast. And just as we've caught our breath from our mad 2-2 draw at the weekend, Sunland travel at Bramall Lane this Wednesday official promotion favorites, Sheffield United. It's been a little while since we faced Sheffield United in the league. So we've roped in Ben from Sheffield United Podcast Blades Pod to give us the lowdown on Sheffield United and their past few years. Ben, how are you doing, mate? Are you okay?
1: I'm very good. Thank you, Graham
0: and yourself. Yeah, not too bad. Um the sun's gone, the rain's coming back, but I'm kind of used to that where I live. So I can't complain too heavily and, and something are unbeaten as we speak at the moment as frustrating as um Saturday it might have been. I think obviously we're going to dig deeper into Sheffield United. There's plenty of things that I want to know about, let alone you know people listening, hopefully. But we'll start off from the top with the most recent stuff. You also coming into the game after a two-two draw twice pegged back by Middlesbrough at the Riverside what did you make of the game and, and Sheffield United's performance uh, a
1: strange sort of uh, a strange of process really and I think a draw was probably the right result with Middlesbrough um, particularly after they equalised they, they hit the post with a really good chance but yeah to be ahead twice uh, and you know leading 2-1 with about 8-9 minutes to go is, is kind of frustrating to throw it away uh, it's I'm, I'm kind of happy with our four points so far. I think we've had quite a difficult start. I mean, Watford away, uh, first game of the season, you know, they they still uh, had that front three intact with uh, Dennis and João Pedro. Um, and there were Millwall, who I think we've beaten once in the last 11 years at home, despite playing them a bunch of times, just like a total kryptonite team for us. And then Middlesbrough, another sort of promotion favourite, with, really, with one of our former managers. So, I'm encouraged by our start to the season, to be honest. I, uh, I I don't think we're quite clicking yet. We're still getting some players back from injury. Most of our signings are still sort of sat on the bench waiting to waiting to be used, I suppose. So I feel like we're giving ourselves quite a good baseline, really. And, um, yeah, I'm hoping we're just going to keep improving as those new players find their way into the team in the next few weeks. I think from a perspective of um, the start of the season you've had, obviously look at it, it's one
0: win, one draw, one defeat. Technically, that's not what really, we'd really expect a promotion favourite to have. But then you look through the fixtures, Watford away is a really tough fixture. Borough away is a really tough fixture. The other game you won, I think, even from a neutral perspective, such as myself, it, it looks like it's been a largely positive start of the season. It was a largely positive campaign last year, really, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, well, once it got going, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I, I went, obviously, last year was the first um, <clears throat> you know, return of fans. So I was incredibly. Psyched, hyped up for the season. So you just so excited to get back to Bramall Lane and you know see real football again, I suppose. And then it just sort of uh, you know the bubble bursts very quickly. We lose the first game. I think we'd scored one goal by mid September or something like that. We, you know, really, really struggling to figure things out under uh, Slavisi Ikanovic. All the same, it was quite a surprise when um, when he was relieved of his managerial duties, and then. Paul Heckingbottom came in, uh, you know, he'd been working with the with the under-23s for a couple of seasons and um, he's done a fantastic job, to be fair. He's he's made us, uh, m- he's gone back to how we were playing under Chris Wilder, I think, with uh, a few tweaks, but largely the same kind of format and formula that was so successful under Wilder. And it's definitely made us more solid. You know, we, we'd built the squad to play in that system over previous years, um, but we're sort of sprinkling in a few more, uh, creative, uh, I guess, sort of individually skilled players now to sort of give us that that little bit of extra edge, I suppose. But yeah, overall, it was quite a fun season to be honest. I mean, yeah, the second half of the season, we, I think, it was only Forest picked up more points than us, and obviously, you know, everyone knows how, how that ended up for them. Um, yeah, I was by the end of it, I was, I think, I was more disappointed that. Um, losing the semi-final meant that the season had finished and there was no more football for me to go to than, like, the actual disappointment of, oh, we just got knocked out of the playoffs. We're not going to be back in the Premier League. So, yeah, it was fun. This is why I'm I'm quite optimistic about this season, to be honest. We, you know, we, we were absolutely annihilated by injuries in the second half of the season. I mean, we, we literally didn't have a fit striker for, like, the last eight games or so. Um, so, yeah, it sort of feels like if we managed through all those injuries and still managed to finish... In the playoffs and come within a, uh, a shootout of Wembley, then we've got a decent sort of chance this season, I think.
0: You touched there on the, the pandemic and, and kind of all that kind of stuff. So I want to rewind back what feels like about 10 years ago, but actually I think it was just about two and a half seasons ago. I think it's fair to say there's not been any season for Sheffield United in the past few years that has been boring for the, the right or wrong reasons. Um, and I think for a little while, alongside a couple of other teams, you did sort of become the blueprint for what Sunderland fans hoped could happen to our club whilst we were kind of languishing in league one and struggling to get promoted because aside side that went through the divisions They said, well, it can be done, you know, maybe one day. Um, so maybe going back a little bit too far here, but that first Premier League season that you had prior pandemic where you finished, I think it was top 10. I think it was 10th actually under Chris no, Wilder. Say. 10th. Yeah. I thought I was right with that. And, um, how did that feel to be a Sheffield United fan at the time? Because I suppose we want a little bit of that sooner rather than later. So it'd be nice to know what it's like if and when we get there.
1: It was the best. It's, I mean, easily the most I've enjoyed a season up to the pandemic starting, obviously. So we got a good two thirds of a season uh of, yeah, being one of the best. Well, not one of the best teams in the league, but, you know, a top half team. We, You know, when the... The pandemic started, we I think we were fifth in the league. Like we just we just won a game and got into the top six. And in in all seriousness, I consider myself a fairly balanced uh blades fan to be honest. I'm not very I'm not overly optimistic, I don't think, and I'm not overly pessimistic like a lot of football fans are either. But in all seriousness, we were going, we could actually make the Champions League here, we could finish in the Champions League places. I don't know if you recall, but Man City were going through some uh, UEFA investigation over financial fair play. And it was it was very much in play that they would not be allowed into Europe next season, which meant the Champions League places would go down to fifth. So we were all sat there in February like, we could actually be in the Champions League next season. This is insane. But um, yeah, it, it was amazing. It was like the tightest kind of um, fan to player and manager bond, I think, I've experienced in... Uh, I guess the 25 years or so I've been watching United. Football was exciting. You know, we we were, I would say, from a talent perspective, we were pretty big underdogs in most games. And uh, you know, you kind of saw that in the following season when uh a little bit of the the magic died, I suppose, and we couldn't find the solutions when when teams adapted to us. But it it was incredible. It was, you know, it really felt like we were uh bloodying the noses of uh teams that were much bigger, um, much better resourced. But they couldn't deal with the, that sort of unique system that we had. So a lot of players playing at their absolute peak that they, you know, fell off from, sadly, like quite quite abruptly, I would say, over the coming seasons and, and haven't got back to that. It was a perfect storm. Uh, and I, th- I think we did appreciate at the time of like, you know, it's, it's pretty it's pretty long odds that I'm going to see my team win a trophy, like, a you know, a a cup, uh, an FA cup, a league cup, or a, you know, a Premier League is is going to be almost impossible. So I think we did all appreciate the time, like, hang on, finishing top 10 in the Premier League, like this might not happen again for like 20, 30, 40 years for all we know with the, you know, the top heaviness of the Premier League. So yeah, it was, uh, it was incredible. I'm assuming that Leeds and and Brentford have gone through similar seasons in, um, in the last couple of years as well. Uh, hopefully Forrest won't go through that this season because I'm still slightly bitter about the way our season ended.
0: What's football without a bit of bitterness? Um, exactly. You touched on Chris Wilder there and I guess that he's got nothing to do with the game coming up on Wednesday. And I do get that. But you know, that the, the point of this is to make it as interesting as possible and get get your viewpoint on Sheffield United. I think what most people and maybe I'm speaking for people who don't agree with me here, but most people enjoyed watching about Sheffield United in Sunderland at the time was, well, first and foremost, you were all red and white stripes. That kind of works. So you can make a parallel immediately with that. But I think it reminded us an awful lot of when we went up um, under Peter Reed under our 105 point season, 97, 98, 98 99, sorry. And mm-hmm. we had Phillips and Quinn, and we had players who are, are, are legends. You know, I mentioned Phillips and Quinn, but also your Summerbees, uh, your Johnsons. He Michael Bridges, I remember Michael a game Bridges. where... Uh, he he ended 15? Steve Bruce's career, yeah.
1: Yeah, I know, not before time. <laughs> <laughs> he did, I think he did us a favour in the long run with that one, to be honest. I remember no. that game very clearly.
0: Yeah, I think he did. I remember that, actually. Exactly the right season that you're speaking about. And I think... You touched on there about the manager bond with the the fans bond and it was really hard not to admire and still is really hard not to admire Chris Wilder as a man and especially what he had with Sheffield United. You could see he was, he bled Sheffield United and although Peter Reid was a scouser, that was an Everton man. He was someone that got something at the time and there there was parallels there despite the kind of 20 odd year gap. Um, I think I'm asking a silly question here, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where does Chris Wilder rank at the moment with Sheffield United fans, like a year or so after he's departed the club?
1: Uh, It's difficult to, I guess, speak for all United fans, but I I feel as someone with, a, I guess, a a bit of a finger on the pulse of this kind of thing, just from from doing the podcast, I suppose, it almost feels like um, there's more divisiveness around Wilder now than there was when he left, I think. You know, I don't know if that's just a natural... You know, it was like a grieving process of like, you know, we're actually better, you know, here's all the bad things that he did for us as well. And look at the mess he left us in, blah, 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 blah. Um, So I think there's more, yeah, I think there's more sort of strong anti-Wilder sentiment now, but I would say that the vast majority of fans are like me in terms of just massive respect for what he did for United, what he gave, you know, the ride was incredible. Uh, really sad how it ended, um, and obviously the the following year wasn't a well. There's there's la- like last six months of of Wilder, and then the sort of six ten months that followed it weren't a great time to be a Blades fan either, I suppose. But yeah, overall, I mean, he he certainly is the best manager and the most I've liked a United manager in the whole time I've been watching, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident a lot of other United fans would. Uh, at the very least, put him into a bracket with like Dave Bassett, for example, in the early nineties. Of someone who's just incredibly popular with the fan base, incredibly well thought of for what he achieved with us.
0: Yeah, which was massive. And, and on that second season, I think one big thing you could tell from the, the first Premier League season was Bramall Lane was an absolute fortress. Like I think I remember watching at work. Uh, I mean, obviously, work. If you are listening, I was working. Um, I was not watching the telly. Um, and I think you beat Manchester United. I think it was two or three nil and. I mean, obviously, everyone does that these days. But at the time, that seemed like quite a big result. Um, but it was a real fortress, and I think one of the reasons it was pinpointed from afar that you kind of fell out with the Premier League and had a poor second, a second season syndrome, or whatever they call it these days, was the fact that there was no fans. There was that no extra, you know, twelfth man, twelfth woman, extra lift um, in the second season. But as you say, your fingers on the pulse, of your Sheffield United fan. What were your thoughts on why the performance in the second campaign was so poor that result in relegation?
1: Everything went wrong is the short answer. Um, injuries that we, we'd we been historically incredibly fortunate or skilled, I suppose, to avoid injuries that, that caught up with us in a massive way. Uh, Jack O'Connell, the centre-back, was so important to us in the whole rise from League One to Top 10 in the Premier League. He unfortunately hasn't played for us for the last two years now. And who knows when he's when he's going to come back. And it really just had a knock-on effect from there. You know, that we we built this kind of unique system, I suppose. Um, and teams did adapt to stopping it. We saw that post-lockdown in the Premier League season. We suddenly found it very hard to score goals. We were defensively great, but very hard to score goals. And um, and that carried on to the next season. We, you know, we reached the stage where if we went a goal down, the game was essentially over. We, you know, so many pundits were kind of citing this this thing of like, oh, United have, um, you know, United have lost ten games by one goal or whatever. You know, the, how unlucky have they been? But to be actually watching the games, you're like, well, you know, teams only need one goal, and then they they know they can just protect. They don't really need to to push it that much. So, you know, that was, um, yeah, that that was that was a problem. The injuries, I think, not being able to adapt to tactics. A lot of players. Stop being good. Frankly, they've been playing to levels we didn't think they could get to. Um, you know, I would say four or five of the starting eleven were probably of that ilk, and they've, you know, really just fallen off a cliff post COVID. Almost, you know, after that, um, after the lockdown and the restart, so that didn't help. And um, almost none of Wilder's signings were even close to successful in in that um, uh, the point after we got promoted to the Premier League. They were good in the first season. Almost all of them were, you know, non-factors at best. Really, in the in the second season, with um, yeah, with a with a couple of very slight exceptions. We got off to a bad start and we couldn't turn it around. We 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 had a good. Um, I'm trying to remember the first game now. Oh, we went, yeah, we lost at home to Wolves where they like scored from their first two shots of the game. So you're like, well, you know, we've lost that one. Wolves are a Champions League contender. Second game, we missed a penalty at Villa, ended up losing 1-0, conceded from a corner. Third game, missed a great chance against Leeds. They score in the 95th minute to win 1-0. And suddenly you're going, we've got uh, zero points from our first three games. We haven't scored a goal yet uh-oh, we've got Chelsea and Liverpool and Manu next and stuff like this. Like we could genuinely have zero points after seven or eight games, and then that's pretty much game over in the Premier League. So yeah, it was a it was a perfect storm of, of badness that we were unable to turn around. And yeah, if if Chris Wilder couldn't turn it around, I I don't think anyone was going to turn it around, to be honest.
0: It's funny you talked about that season. I remember talking about the parallels that we hoped something would have when you were doing well in the Premier League and kind of the parallels of the Peter Reid side, we actually recognised that season a lot more um, from a sudden perspective of losing the sort of first seven or eight games and the way that it went. Because of course, I think we have the second and third worst points total in the Premier League of all time, but less of the negatives. Um, <laughs> On to the the positive aspects of Sheffield United at the moment. It does seem like, you, you mentioned before about the grieving process. I do think that is a, a really valid point to make because it was so good under Wild and because it ended so sad it probably takes you a while to get to that point where you're still probably processing it almost in a way. But Heckenbottom as, as a whole seems to be quite well liked at Sheffield United. He had a tough time up in Scotland with Hibbs. It uh, didn't work out from at Leeds. Obviously, was very well respected at Barnsley, but he seemed to make some sort of comeback um, at Sheffield United where he seems to be, I wouldn't say you know wildly popular, but he seems to be very well respected at Sheffield United. Assuming you're a fan of him, um, why has he proven to be such a popular boss?
1: I, I like him more than I thought I would, to be honest. I, I was, I don't know. I don't want to say I was like opposed to him signing. Sounds, uh, becoming manager sounds a bit high and might. It was just a, it was an odd, uh, it, it was a bit of a red flag for me that we'd gone all in um, the summer before to get Yucanovic, who, you know, very proven track record in the championship. I'm sure we will have had to pay him a lot of money to bring him in, to be honest. And then, four or five months into the season we just rip that up and go actually we're just going to make the under 23s guy like the head honcho I think we give him a five year contract or something like this and I'm sort of going like where is the you know where is the process here this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever but he's done a really good job and um, he's more he's a likable character he has gone back to as I said a system that uh, maybe is a bit less exciting to United fans that want to see something a bit more expansive I suppose but He's gone back to basics in terms of what the strengths of the squad. I think that was probably the that's probably the shorthand way to describe it. Under Ilicic, we were kind of playing to our weaknesses a little bit because he wanted to play one way and we didn't have the players for it. Whereas Hacking Bottom sent us back to playing to our strengths and winning matches is more fun than losing them. You know that buys you a buys you a lot of leeway. I'm not saying the football's drab or anything like that. It's certainly not. But um, yeah, I, I think he, you know, I like. Um, he, he talks a lot of sense he doesn't generally you know bs the fans or anything like that i think because his past experience is at youth level as well with our under 23s he's been kind of tasked with bringing a lot of younger players into the team and he's he's definitely done that we've seen oh, i can think of sort of seven eight academy graduates who've kind of you know been given a debut in the last 12 months or so or however long it is since he took over so yeah there, there's a lot to like about him to be honest um i have some question marks about um like in-game management, I suppose. But I mean, you have that about a lot of managers, don't you? I think the, the day-to-day, week-to-week stuff, I think has been near on perfect, to be honest. So yeah, he's it's doing, it's doing a really, really good job. In terms of the signings he's brought in in the
0: summer, you touched on majority have been on the bench. However, you might see one or two of them and you can't make any judgment on a player after three games fully aware of that, although I'm sure we all have. Yeah. Um, out the transfer business you've had you've been relatively uh, relatively active sorry who've been the most impressive from what you've seen
1: so we brought in a uh, bosnian center back arnold Armid hodzic which i had to spend quite a bit of time uh, learning how to pronounce because <laughs> i'm used to having players called john fleck and you know chris basham and things like that um he's been phenomenal so he uh, speaking of Chris Basham, he was kind of instrumental to our rise, playing on the uh, the right of the back three and just constantly bombing forward with the ball. You know, he would be really—he's a centre back who's so important to our attacks. I'd say he's, he had one of his first sort of proper injuries midway through last season. First proper injuries with us. I mean, hasn't totally come back the same player. I think so. We brought in Armand Hodzic, and he just looks like the natural successor. Very tall, athletic centre back, but as soon as he gets on the ball, he's like, he's gone. He's driving into whatever space is there. Seems to be a good passer as well. So yeah, he's a pleasant surprise. He's our first sort of um, player we've paid money for in almost two years, I think. So we paid 3 million for him and, I, I i don't always put that much stock into this but when you know a lot of kind of football analytics accounts on twitter are something like whoa only you got in for only three million it sort of does make you raise your eyebrows and get a little bit excited and yeah he's um possibly at fault for one of the goals yesterday but overall a, a really promising start for him he's only played two games so far to be fair but yeah he's the one that's uh, immediately caught the eye'd say you touched on uh, Chris Basham there. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Chris, if you are listening, but massive
0: Sunderland fan of us, I believe, as well. I think he's a South Shields-born uh, massive Sunderland fan. So he has my respect, even if he hasn't come back quite informed from his injury. Um, I'm Excellent. sure he'll be pleased to know. <laughs> um I think in terms of other players that you look at in the squad, there's loads of recognisable faces that are still there from the sort of Premier League era. There's also players that have done well at other clubs. I think off the top of my head, Fodderingham obviously did a job at Rangers. John Fleck was obviously a player that's been there for years now and, and been there for ages. And everyone knows his quality at this level. John Egan is obviously someone we know well, came through our academy and then we let him go for free. Course, yeah which was a great move from us and back. Um <laughs> But who is the man that makes Sheffield United tick? Who should be the one that some fans are like, right, hang on, we need to take him out of the game to have any chance of winning?
1: And a slightly divisive figure among United fans for some reason, I've no idea why, but Ollie Norwood is just, uh, just a, a master playmaker, really. He has his limitations, but if he has a poor game, United have a poor game, so... If you're asking me who is the sort of man that makes us tick, it is definitely Norwood. Ranger passing is brilliant. Has like almost zero goal threat. Uh, crossing is sometimes questionable. His set pieces are terrible, but when he doesn't play, we are terrible. Like he is the man that keeps everything rolling over. In terms of like one player to watch out for, like uh, I think a probably more, more obvious candidate is Sander Berger at this, uh, in the last sort of six, seven months or so that he's played. He's, he's been what we hoped he would be, which is a player who is like far too good for the championship. You, He cannot be tackled. Like, you know, once he gets the ball out of his feet, he's, he's so big and strong and smart that teams just have to foul him or let him go. And the only frustration with him is it's like, just do that every time, like every time you get the ball, just dribble past everybody. Um, but yeah, he's, he's got two goals in his last two. He ended last season really well as well. We, we finally found a role for him. I, I don't know. We, we were kind of messing about with him when we brought him in, like, uh, you know, trying to play him like as a, a deep lying midfielder and Peckingbottom has basically just gone. No, you're playing on the right of the three in midfield. Get forward as much as possible, get in the box, uh, shoot when you get the chance cross when you get the chance and yeah he's a great player I'm not totally convinced he's still going to be here at the end of August to be honest um, I hope he is but to be fair to United we we are digging our feet in on on prices with him he's, he's not going to go cheap it, you know our, uh, our owner doesn't have much money to play with but uh, he does he doesn't accept the first offer as previous owners have done so if he does go we're going to get a good chunk of money for him but my worry is he goes quite late in the window, and we don't have like time to adequately replace him. Not that we could really replace him anyway, because he's he's just so damn good. I love watching him play. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I'm really good friends with a Sheffield United
0: fan. Actually, um, was at Bramall Lane with him for the England semi final against. Uh, sweden and i was mm. obviously catching up and stuff and i was like oh god we're actually playing each other in in league competition i was also Lane for the the max power goal when i think you debuted your disco lights that night um less about that one the better maybe potentially you had some wait sort of disc-
1: what what yeah. was that is that not Are you sure that's not the other sheffield team
0: oh definitely not i, I remember us playing them away quite recently and quite well <laughs> um but it was
1: oh, saw the league cup it was a league cup. Yeah. Ah, yeah, oh, I Colorado did go stores. to that. Yeah. yeah. Man, Max Power, I do remember that. Yeah. I didn't realise it was disco lights. Sorry, I, I was not. Uh, I was not totally paying attention to that game, <laughs> despite being
0: there. Uh... <laughs> I don't think I was, to be fair. But it was a nice night out, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, mm. but he he in particular touched on um Sander, Sander Burge. and I think probably from the outside looking in, if I was to mention someone myself, I wanted to watch that. Would be someone that was there as well. But he has similar worries that he might not stay. Uh, beyond obviously the transfer window, um, for us, sadly, he's probably going to be in the starting lineup for Wednesday at least. Um, onto Sunderland, I always find, especially in League One, it was always interesting asking an opposition fan what you thought on Sunderland because it can be varied, funny, um, completely utterly incorrect. Whereas at Championship level, it's been a while since we've been here. We're playing teams that we haven't played in a while, um, but we'll have known of us. And I think you know we said before that our blueprint. Uh, or maybe the blueprint would have been Sheffield United a few years ago kind of bounce through the leagues and go straight up I think most of us are quite measured and know that that's not going to happen and we'll probably take 14th to 15th but maybe just say maybe we did it because we're in 6th right so let's just pretend we might actually get to the rest of the season I don't think it's going to happen but pretend we did and we went back to the playoffs whilst none of us are expecting it this season or most of us aren't what does someone need to do if they're going to rise back to the Premier League sooner rather than later from the experience that you had with Sheffield United doing it?
1: Hmm, it's, it's kind of a boring answer, but um, defence is really important um, when you're yeah, going for the playoffs. Like, if you can just keep teams to zeros and ones, it sounds really obvious, but suddenly only needing to score one or two goals to win a game is such a big deal. That was, that was the blueprint for our promotion when we finished second. And it was a big part of why we went from, you know, lower reaches of the table last season to, um, you know, finishing the playoffs pretty comfortably in the end. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, we just couldn't close it out. in over over two games against Forest, we ended up conceding, uh, you know, a couple of goals at home, and that really put us behind the eight ball. We, we were ultimately not quite able to turn it around. But yeah, just just having that defensive solidity is massive. It's it's not even really about having a good goalkeeper. I think it's just can you restrict teams to few shots, few good chances. I mean, we went when Hekkingbottom took over. I think we I think we only conceded. In fact, this will still be true this season. We've only conceded three goals or two goals, I think, at home since he took over. So you're looking at like 15 games now, including this season. That's massive. That gives you such an you know that basically that's basically saying every home game you're going to get at least one point, and you only need to score one goal to get three. So sounds sounds very basic and obvious, but that's that's been at the core of um, how we've got promote well, how we got promoted last time, how we're finishing the playoffs. The time before, um, so unless you've got uh, a Fulham level attack, defense, defense wins championships, as American sports fans say. Although, of course, they would say defense.
0: <laughs> they would, they would. <laughs> um, I think from. The outside looking in, you know, like I say, we we know that we're a newly promoted side and we I think we'd be quite comfortable just being established here. But it seems like a lot of people on the outside, as we were speaking of air, sometimes rate something a little bit higher. Um, I don't know why. I think maybe it's momentum, maybe our previous history, the 100 years of history says we've been at this level or higher. But how do Sheffield United fans see the game on Wednesday? Obviously, you're coming up a home game for a side that is a lot of people have tipped for promotion. You'll be hoping for promotion, be it automatic or playoffs. You're coming up against a newly promoted side that yes is unbeaten, but had a bit of a disappointing end to the game on Saturday. Is this game seen as a, a very winnable one, or do you see it a little bit trickier than maybe what you would a newly promoted side normally?
1: Yeah, probably probably trickier than uh other newly promoted sides, I suppose. In in yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, you have had a good start, um, obviously ended last season really well. I think I think you know our fans are generally quite respectful of uh someone's status one of a better word like you your your prospect for this season that's probably a better way of describing it my uh my podcast co-host had you as a um i think a, a we, we had to pick up a surprise team between each and uh he had sunderland to be in the playoffs i think which is not that surprising i, I see a lot of people have done that already um so yeah I, i'm it still feels so early for us to be honest like but i, I feel like we we are kind of finding uh It feels like we've already shown that even when we're not playing that well, we can still beat teams, which is kind of how we were under Bottom last season as well. So um, I'm optimistic from from my perspective. Our our home record has been uh, fantastic, as I said, under Bottom, We've only lost once uh, at home since he took over, not including the playoffs. Um, And yeah, we've started a lot of our home games recently, going back into last season, like an absolute train, to be honest. We just sort of... Managed to get a couple of goals up very quickly, and then kind of just see it out. And um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to potentially see some of these players coming off our bench as well. I'm not totally sure why Heckingbottom hasn't used the likes of uh, Kadra, Makati, who are both here on loan um, as you know potential game changers or um, you know counter attacking options. I I expect they will probably be more involved um, on Wednesday. So I'm excited. I, I missed um, I actually missed our first game, at home game of the season because I, I had COVID, which was super annoying so I haven't been to a I haven't been to a game in person since the end of last season obviously so I'm I'm just like yes get, get me to Bramall Lane cannot wait for it.
0: In terms of if something were to say it ruined your return to the Stadium LA like, um, which I'm going to do with predictions in a little bit you'll probably see that I'm not that confident but who are the players that are you concerned by from a, a Sunderland perspective going into the game just from what you've seen from us this season?
1: So uh, Ellis Sims has obviously had a fantastic start and um, he's on loan from Everton, right? They could probably use him. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> they don't have a forward. Um, don't don't yeah. tell them that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he, he's really caught the eye. I mean, obviously he's, he's got, got the goals to go with it, but statistically he's had a really strong start to the season as well. I pay quite a lot of attention to uh, advanced stats and XG and stuff like that. And yeah, he's, he's, he's right up there. I think it, last time I looked, he was like, top 10 for expected goals per night and was top five for shots per night as well. So yeah, he, a player that uh, is able to find space so far and create shots for himself is uh, always one to be concerned about. I think um I don't believe he's actually played that much for you this season unless he started the other day or played the other day. But um Patrick Roberts is a name that I, I've, I've always kind of wanted us to be in for, to be honest, going like three back three or four years. And obviously um he had a big hand in knocking our neighbours out of the playoffs as well. So, uh, yeah, lot, lot of respect for him, and uh, I will be, I will be very on edge if he is on the ball, running at our defenders, but slightly giving him a little clap at the same time for what he did last year. Yeah, exactly. You might get a little cheer to be fair if he's, uh, if he's in the starting lineup.
0: Fair play when we sent them down as well. Actually, one of his goals sent them mm. down for Derby. Kept them there. He did
1: yes, of course. <laughs>
0: I don't think Sheffield fans will enjoy me saying that but nonetheless <laughs> I don't have to get any of them on for a preview pod this season so hopefully they'll let me off. Um, I think last question as it always is, is is score prediction. I normally go first and I think I'm going to go for a first year and I have no shame in doing it. I try to be as I'm trying to be more realistic this season if I can because um, last season in the League One I think I just predicted us to win every game because that was the expectation um, which wasn't the case but thankfully we got promoted. I think it's a tough game. I think Sheffield night is really hard. I think one of the big, big things for me is looking at the reason we've dropped points against Coventry and QBR at home haven't been because we played poorly, but there's been people on the bench that they can bring on and change the game where at the moment our squad's probably not quite at that level. Good starting eleven, not a great deal. That'll change it, especially not on a cold Wednesday night, in Sheffield against one of the promotion favourites. So maybe this is negative, but I'm gonna actually go against us and say I think we'll lose three one. But Ben, where where do you think the goals will be scored on Wednesday?
1: It's a cold night in Sheffield. It's it's beautiful here. Oh, I just
0: I, I just figured I live in Scotland, so I just figure it's wet everywhere in the United Kingdom. All oh, right,
1: no, sh- sh- def-
0: definitely shorts
1: weather in Sheffield tomorrow evening for uh, for anyone who's coming to the game. A sunny um, even- a sunny evening in Sheffield. We'll rephrase that. Yeah, maybe maybe not sunny. I won't go that far, but it'll at least at least be fairly warm. Um, uh, i I don't think we're quite clicking just yet, so until I see that start clicking, I'm not going to go overboard with our prediction with with a prediction, but um uh, I, I will go for a, a one 0 win for United just because that's kind of what we've done under Bottom. really, kept it very tight. Um, you know, regardless of how good the opposition attack is. Don't score that many goals ourselves, but when we do get ahead, we tend to uh, stay ahead, particularly at home. If people do want
0: to listen, obviously, um, to your podcast after the show, I find it really interesting listening to the opposition viewpoint because it's completely not biased towards something, so you get a bit more of an all-around view, which is maybe why people like knowing which players you're concerned by when I do it on this podcast. But if people wanted to listen to your reaction to the game and, and to Sheffield United stuff throughout the season, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so the podcast is Blades Pod. Uh You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, of course. Um yeah, you can follow me on Twitter or check me out on Twitter at BladesPod as well. And um, yeah, we we will have a preview episode uh, out probably tonight, which we'll obviously talk about our last game as well as Sunderland. And then, uh, yeah, if, uh, if Sunderland win and you want to, you know, bask in the glory of moaning Sheffield United fans, then look out for that on Thursday, I suppose yeah well hopefully fingers crossed
0: but uh, ben thanks always for coming on really appreciate it hopefully uh you have a horrible wednesday night but that's just part <laughs> of the course mate thanks for coming on nonetheless
1: pleasure you're welcome